Hello and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. My name is Matt Barker. I'm the Features Editor at Campaign, don't you know? And I'm joined today by two of my colleagues, Shauna Lewis, who's a campaign reporter. Hello, Shauna. Hiya. And Coral Cripps, Campaign's Tech Editor. Hello, Coral. Hello. I was hoping it was your first one, but this is your second yes. appearance on here, isn't it? Because I was going to say we have to sing a song at the end. Uh, but now, I, I, can't, yeah. I can't do that now, so it's completely wasted. <laughs> We're going to be chatting about last week's campaign media awards a little bit later on. But before that, I just wanted to pick over a couple of news stories that have caught our eyes this week. Uh, the first is British Vogue Editor-in-Chief Edward Enenfield's comments during a Radio 4 interview about ads and diversity. It was really interesting stuff with Enenfield say, saying that he turns down ads if they don't tally with his values around race, religion, sexuality, body size, etc. Uh, he also claimed that he was told uh, soon after taking on the role at Vogue, I think it was in 2017, that inclusivity equals down market. Mm. Shauna, Enfield uh, has managed to pretty much reposition Vogue as a kind of a platform for celebrating and debating diversity. So this is all pretty intriguing stuff, isn't it? Yeah. So um, it looks really great for the brand. Um, and it's obviously like, you know, the correct kind of, I don't know, way to think, I suppose. Um but print, as we know, is in decline. I don't have facts to back that up, but I feel like it's a fact that everyone just knows. I think it is. Yeah. Um, so um, it's quite like a big claim to make when print is very reliable on ads. But I suppose like as Vogue, you kind of have that scope and that like legacy to be able to say something like that and like still be quite like self-assured in your own like success and like you know your revenue and things like that and also it's kind of helpful for smaller magazines who also want to make that step because I feel like you need a kind of big fish to make that move or mm. shark if you will yeah, before yeah. the little fish can be like we want to do that too but as well on the other side of it it does set him up to be like very carefully scrutinized in the future and like I think you know if anyone's on Twitter people can be really really harsh and really you know like have very specific ideas of what things should and shouldn't look like and aren't afraid to give their opinions so it, it could potentially bite him back at one point um but in ideally it does have a knock-on effect in that the media buyers see that and they're like right well we can't come to vogue with their ads anymore and so then they go back to the creative and they're like well it needs to be more diverse and they go back to the client and that's like the ideal thing it's like the responsibility is on everyone but ideally this has a knock-on effect of helping the people around him make that decision. Mm -hmm. Condé Nast are the publishers of Vogue. What, what's been the reaction of the commercial department there, or at least the public reaction of the commercial department there? Usually, I think there would be a bit of disconnect in what the editorial team would think and what the sales team would think, because obviously, you know, you know, some might be of the opinion that money is money kind of thing. You don't know. Obviously, I can't speak for them. But publisher Vanessa Kingori seems like, you know, completely in agreement with him. Um, so we're running a story later this week about his comments and she sent, she sent us a response about what she thinks. And so one of the things that she has said is that by choosing brand first before short-term revenue opportunities, we've actually been growing revenue exponentially with a clear and fresh commercial strategy. So she's like kind of in tandem with what he's saying. And it's actually quite reflective of what we think as an industry. Well, I say that we like the kind of ad industry thinks in the, the most recent IPA Bellwether um, a lot of the kind of agency leaders highlighted that there had been an uptick in like sales promotions by advertisers, but they were worried that they wouldn't prioritize long-term brand building. So it's the idea of you need to prioritize your long-term brand over short-term revenue. And that's kind of exactly what she says here. So although it might seem maybe on the surface, like an idea that the sales department or the commercial wouldn't agree with, it's actually very smart. Mm. really for the brand overall. 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that, that sort of old divide between art and commerce, you know, between editorial and advertising departments, maybe, yeah. maybe that's sort of gone a bit. Interesting as well about Enninfil, I think he's probably the last big editor personality that we have over here, certainly in the glossy magazine newsstand world. Uh, Mater McCabe, obviously, is a massive personality. <laughs> as well. um, but, you know, if, if you look at just at Condé Nast, I mean, you had figures like Dylan Jones, who was a real kind of representation of what GQ meant, for example. Um Condé Nast's model has, has changed a lot editorially over the, over the, the last couple of years. Everything kind of tends to come out of New York now. So whereas, you know, for magazine geeks uh, like myself, American GQ and, and, and British GQ are very different looking, very different feel to them yeah. now. Now it's very difficult to tell the difference between them. And, you know, th- th- there is a danger for NFL that if, if he upsets too many people within within the hallowed corridors of Condé Nast that, that they could say, well, look, you know, Money always, money's always going to win out here. Um, so, it, it, an interesting story. It's like your to see little how, accent there. <laughs> yeah, interesting story to see how um, how how it all develops. Now, Carl, as tech editor, you wrote a story that went up on the site yesterday, which was looking at a gamified experience and NFT collection, which was created by the Anne Partnership uh, and the Coffee and TV Creative Studio, all to promote a new Lexus, and and it had a secret agent and and lots of car chases, presumably. Um, yeah, so Lexus, the luxury car maker, they've launched this really cool campaign to promote their latest SUV. Um, so what they've done in this part of the campaign is they've released a series of five NFTs, and they're all creative graphics of these real-life hoverboards they designed with the N partnership all the way back in 2015. So it's kind of hearkening back on previous innovation. Um, so in order to access the NFTs, people have to play this online game, which is fashioned in a choose-your-own-adventure style. Um, so think that, um, I think a good example is that Black Mirror episode uh, called Bandersnatch. I think it took place in the 80s and it was on Netflix, um, like a really cool concept where you got to interact with the story. But it was um, a series of film segments and you got to choose which segment came next based on your chosen direction of, of the narrative. Um, so that's the same kind of concept here. Um, the game basically consists of a series of creative film clips, but as the player, you get to choose which character you want to play and which actions you want to take. Um, and that determines which direction it will go in. Um, and the concept involves someone driving away with a secret briefcase. Of course, the getaway vehicle is the new Lexus vehicle, and you get to play as either a hacker or a locksmith. So I won't spoil too much. I do encourage anyone who's read our piece to play the game and try it out and have a chance to access the NFTs. Um, So it's a great form of engagement because you get to see lots of engaging shots of the car looking super sleek and cool and fast and furious. Um, But also, I think what's really cool is that the NFTs are accessible at the end of the game. And in order to reach them, you have to reach the end of the game and you have to engage with the campaign before you get the chance to win them. And um, basically, there are five NFTs and there's you know, a one in five chance that you can enter um, a contest to win them once you play the game. Um, So each of the NFTs are given an aesthetic to represent a different country. Um, And the real life hoverboards, which were the inspiration for the NFTs, was something that the N partnership in Lexus worked on in the past. Um, So I think this is cool in that it's 
also um, a past campaign where they were pushing their limits with design and technology, but now they're adopting Web3 technology. And this is another way for them to experiment with new technologies and try and stay at the forefront of innovation. So NFTs are still a thing. I'd kind of forgotten about them in amongst all the AI scare stories and everything else. Uh, yeah. So I guess for those who aren't aware, there is this public opinion now that NFTs are dead um, and that there was this boom in 2022 that's now died out. And now everyone's talking about uh, generative AI and chat GPT. Um, I think part of the reason that this has received a negative connotation is because cryptocurrencies have decreased in value. So consequently, um, a lot of these NFT projects have also lost value as a result. Um, but as someone who spent some time observing the, the space last year, I think the whole thing was really cool from a social angle, but a lot of people feel that it also wasn't a movement that catered that well to the everyday population. Um, a lot of the NFTs were extremely expensive and a lot of the publicity was generated because celebrities with millions of dollars were buying them. Um, there was also this like mini movement where music artists were tokenizing their work to try to rake in the value and not get a cut from the labels. And that was a whole other thing that was happening. Um, but I think in a post-pandemic landscape where we're dealing with a global recession, a cost of living crisis... Um, super expensive digital images. I, I just don't think they were the most appealing thing to wider audiences. There needs to be better use cases for the technology. So um, I think we're seeing a lot of brands revising how they can use the technology and how they can leverage it so that it's not only more accessible, but also just more useful to the people that are holding them. So with that being said, a lot of major brands are actually still very interested in Web3. It hasn't left their strategy. Um, and they're still on board with using the concept of NFT ownership as a promotional strategy. Uh, Lexus actually isn't even the only major car brand that's launched a series of NFTs. Porsche and Lamborghini have also done so. And then major brands are very involved still. We've got Nike, Adidas, Coca-Cola. Um, so Starbucks has actually launched a really successful NFT loyalty program over in the U.S. It's basically an extension of their rewards program. Um, but instead of just getting their users to set up a general online account, people who sign up are given an exclusive NFT. Um, and it's got all the rewards and discounts and perks enabled through its underlying utility. Uh, so blockchain technology actually enables the ability for brands to tack additional utility onto the NFTs, such as prizes or passes or uh, discounts or um, access to real life events. Um, so as a form of technology, it's actually a great way to make all of these things accessible within one sort of contract. And I think we're seeing more brands jump on board with this and see how they can use this to develop greater loyalty between themselves and their consumers um, and build a community under their brand. I do like the idea that we might soon have them. Um use car NFT dealerships. That's, uh, that's <laughs> um, so, so both of you were at last week's Campaign Media Awards, which is a glittering, glamorous event at the Royal Lancaster, London, which is near Hyde Park. Um, Zenith, Essence Mediacom, MGOMD and OMD UK were among the big winners. Shauna, what was a big standout moment for you? Apart from getting lost on your way to the... Uh, yeah, you didn't. You know, yeah. I told you that in confidence earlier, Matt. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, I think on like a personal note, it was nice to see Arvind get applauded. Um, people said some very nice words about him and he's been really helpful to me. Um, our uh, now sadly former media editor, yeah, who, so uh, who, it was his last day last Thursday and, and uh, he was it was his last bit of uh, campaign duty, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I think, think he sincerely enjoyed it as well. Did he? 
Um, yeah, like, you know, it's nice to see him get applauded and things like that. Um, people said some really nice stuff about him and he's been really helpful to me. So we're all going to miss him. Um, and then, yeah, I think so Zenith had a big night, um, obviously. But I think also, like, it was quite cool to see MG OMD's success from Ring My Bell kind of, like, carry through from Media Week. Um, it's nice to see an idea with, like, longevity and, like, kind of still see people, like talk about it i know it's like the same award cycle but you know like the agency leaders around me going oh that was such a good idea um and it's just nice to see something like really i don't know admired for like it's like ingenuity ingenuity is that the right word um yeah and then also i think the grand prix was quite good as well because i think it which was for essence media comms like ebay work um and i think that was quite good as well because i think sometimes we get very wrapped up in like what we I say we but like the ad industry thinks is good and then like what we as campaign like see a lot of but like that was a campaign which like I remember seeing as like I can like just a consumer on Twitter like on my personal like seeing a lot about it and how it was really good for Love Island and like to like set that kind of example and I think that really like cut through the noise (laughs) um and a lot of people were made aware of it and I thought it was really well deserved and uh Coral what was a big um there were quite a few tech-related things going on that night, weren't there? Yeah. Um, so I got to attend these award shows, and they've been a really great way for me to learn about some of the the great campaigns that were launched before I joined the team. Um, but yeah, I noticed a lot of nominated agencies had partnered with some of the biggest names in the gaming space, like Fortnite and Twitch, which is really cool. Um, and one of the winners that stood out to me was Initiative, who won for Best Use of Experiential. Um, They launched a campaign for Amazon Music in partnership with Fortnite, and they were trying to target Fortnite's massive audience, which is 350 million users globally. Um, Given the massive popularity that Fortnite has with Gen Z, uh, I just thought this was a really cool way for Amazon to increase that demographics knowledge about Amazon Music, and I say there was no better place for them to do it. Great stuff. Now, I mentioned Zenith earlier. The agency walked off with a grand total of six awards, including Agency Team of the Year. Campaign's UK editor, Maisie McCabe, caught up with Zenith's CEO, CEO, CEO <laughs> Natalie Cummins, and Managing Director John Stevens after the event. She also spoke to Essence Mediacom's Creative Futures lead, Holly Carter, following the agency's four-award haul for its work with eBay and ITV's Love Island, including the Grand Prix mentioned by uh, Shauna for Campaign of the Year. Over to you, Maisie. My name is Maisie McCabe and I'm the UK editor of Campaign and I'm delighted to be joined by Natalie Cummings, Chief Executive Zenith and John Stevens, Managing Director at Zenith and Holly Carter's Creative Futures Lead at Essence Mediacom. So we're here to talk about the Campaign Media Awards which took place last week at the Royal Lancaster London Hotel near Hyde Park. Over 500 guests attended the event which was hosted by the presenter Alice Levine. So the categories focus on product sectors rather than the, just the size of the deal or the campaign. And it tends to be a slightly more cerebral evening than the Media Week Awards. I don't know if that's your opinion, guys. Yeah, we really like the Campaign Media Awards because it's about client work. So clients get more excited about that than Media Week because it's yeah, about their vertical. Um, so, yeah, we it's, it's probably our favourite of the two. Good. Um, obviously campaigns involved in both so um, you know, we shouldn't really pick our favourite children there are strengths favourite children yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed Media Week is a, is a lot bigger it tends to be up near sort of a thousand guests but um, but campaign media is obviously back 
the second year in person this year and um and kind of bigger than ever i think which is is nice now the reason we've got you all here today is because you were victorious at the uh, event last week which is fantastic congratulations um so john and that i think zenith picked up six awards in total how did you feel going into the evening were you feeling confident well we had quite a lot of shortlists but um you know, sometimes you can go into these with loads of shortlists and which is also really good because, you know, that is good to have your work, you know, spread of your work well shortlisted. That means it's really good. Um, but sometimes you, you can be heavily shortlisted and not and actually walk away with very little just because of the way the cookie crumbles or whatever. But um, so, no, we had no clue what the outcome was going to be. Um, so we were just there for the for the fun, really. Uh, but yeah, we were obviously really pleased with um, the outcome. And, and Holly, have you been to the Campaign Media Awards before? Yes. So um, I was at the awards last year when we were first back in person. Um, I had been to a few previously when kind of pre-COVID. Um, but it's always such a great night and always such a kind of night in our calendars that we all look forward to um, as a team. Fantastic. Um, any comments on the venue? It's often taking place at on Park Lane at the Hilton there. And so kind of moved all the way around the park um, to the north side. But, um, you know. I mean, I liked it. I, I feel like it was a bit more accessible than Park Lane uh, and also slightly more intimate. So I thought it was it was really good. Um, a challenge to get the coats in to begin with, I'd say. A few more staff uh, would help that. But actually, the venue itself was great. <laughs> well, I'm sure that has been noted and actioned already. Um, also, you're kind of both on the central line, aren't you? So it's like... In terms of yeah. coming from it's different in the directions, yeah. but right. yeah, it's almost like yeah. it was you know planned or designed for you. <laughs> Although it was like a horrendous rainstorm beforehand, <laughs> so I don't know about you guys, but I definitely jumped in a cab and didn't face the central line uh, in my heels. We staggered down the central line um, and yeah, went to a pub beforehand, and then did a sort of dash in the rain uh, to the venue. But it sort of added to the fun. It was quite cool. Yeah, hopefully not too many blow dries were disrupted. Um, yeah. but yeah. um, obviously you won for a number of different clients including Macmillan and Bird's Eye was there, was there one particular award within there that was the most special could you pick your your favourite child is that possible um, so we loved getting the team of the year award because it was with a client and you know we had to pitch to that judging team um, I say we I wasn't there it was um, uh, Tiago um, who leads our sort of digital effort um so i love that you know we had to do a presentation which sort of ups the ante a bit more so makes it all the more special when you win um and then yeah we were really excited about the right reach award as well because that's sort of an agency innovation thing so that was quite cool um but i don't know it was great to win twice from Macmillan. yeah i was really really chuffed with the Macmillan ones particularly um best insight because it's a really really aggressive category uh, and then we're up against some, I guess, some really, really big brands and big businesses within that. And for a charity to, to be recognised in that category, I was really, really pleased with. Um, and also the branded content award that Macmillan picked up in. You know, I think charities work tire- tirelessly. And actually for us to go to the client and say that we produce some of the best work in the industry, everyone's got a real buzz and a bounce from that. And it's and it's quite a modest media budget that it has as well. So I think it just demonstrates that actually when you've got a really, really sound insight and a great partner in talk sport actually which is resonates really well with their audience 
Um, we can do some really, really award-winning work on a budget. And, you know, Macmillan are really, really happy with that. Right. And can you explain just for the listener, if they've not seen the campaign, a bit about that, that partnership and how it worked? Yeah. So, I mean, the insight is uh, men, you know, don't really talk about their feelings. They don't talk about, um, uh, you know, their health troubles. Uh, and if a man is struggling with cancer, um, they don't often reach out to people for advice. Uh, and this can actually lead to greater anxiety and depression as well as kind of a late diagnosis. Uh, the other thing is that men don't actively lean into content about cancer as well. So if you think about you, me, and the big C, it's actually predominantly women that listen to that. So we work with um, TalkSport to create a editorial um, uh, segment within the White and Jordan show. It wasn't somewhere that lived elsewhere, where we got um, uh, sports stars that have lived with cancer. So we had Jimmy White and Sol Banner, and they were telling their own personal stories about how they uh, struggled with cancer and ultimately survived cancer. Uh, but they spoke about a very, very personal story. Uh, and there was a, um, so a representative from Macmillan as well talking about how men can access um, kind of life-saving support services as well. And actually the results are incredible. Um, so be it, you know, people picking up the phone or accessing the website, more men uh, accessed um, Macmillan's care than ever before. Again, on quite a very, very modest budget. But um, yeah, really, really nice um uh content series with talk sports yeah amazing so then in terms of the agency team of the year award that was for your work with lloyd's which was obviously a well in my head a relatively recent win but i guess it's probably two is it two years ago already uh it's we've been working with them for 15 months now um so yeah it goes fast so that's specifically about um the digital one team um so uh all of lbg's digital team works alongside the Zenith LBG digital team to the extent that the only office coming together is at our offices. So the, 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 the LBG digital team don't ever go to LBG offices, well, they do sometimes for meetings, but they don't hang out there. They hang out here and then obviously hybrid work as well. But what's quite unique about the one team is that you are properly working together. So your direct report might be your client. Oh, wow. Might not be, like, if you're a... That must be quite... Is that unusual? That feels unusual. It's quite unusual, yeah. I think it's quite a unique model. Um, haven't heard of too many places that do it. Um, and it means, I guess, that everyone's properly invested in the outcome and you sort of... The whole traditional agency-client relationship, which, you know historically was a bit master and servant and there's still that deference there obviously um that is sort of eroded away to the most to the to the biggest point that it ever can be um in an agency client relationship in that um you're all properly sort of working together according to different disciplines and the overall um goals so the search bit of the one team will have a mixture of clients and agency people but the structure and the hierarchy will be won't really recognise who's who's client and who's not, um, which you know is sounds you know initially sounds like a bit of a difficult sell potentially to both client people and agency people, um, but it was also really intriguing to everyone um, and it's worked really really well. So we do internal happiness um, measurement for different teams so that obviously we do general how happy are you working at Zenith but we also 
ask teams to find out, you know, if we got any clients where there's a troublesome relationship that we need to fix because everyone working on that client doesn't like it. Um, and the one team has among the highest scores in the agency. Um, so it, and then um, on the flip side, when LBG are asked to assess the relationship, which we do regularly, the one team have among the highest scores of all the teams at LBG. So oh, it sort of works well for everybody. Yeah, sounds like something you should roll out. Although I guess it's easier said than done maybe sometimes. But. Yeah, I think at the, at the moment there's a lot of conversation about whether it should be in-house or in agency when it comes to digital activation, whereas actually this shows that in a hybrid world there's a really, really good opportunity to thrive, um, particularly because you know when clients try and in-house capabilities, actually re- attracting and retaining the best people can be quite a challenge, whereas actually because... You, you bring in agencies and clients working together. Uh, I think they really are getting the best of both worlds. And is there anything I know? Right reach has been quite important to you in, from a new business perspective as well as with existing clients, hasn't it? Could you explain a bit about what that? Because it's sort of won the product innovation category. So what 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 is the product? I guess and how is it used? Well, it's it, it started off as a spreadsheet. Um, uh, like all good products do. Sort yeah, of, say, sort of, beginning of a romance novel there or something. Yeah. Um, and it's become more formalised and more of a, it's always an, been an approach rather than a tool, but it's become more toolified over time. But it's basically a recognition that, you know, the traditional relationship between reach and outcomes in media, where there's an assumption that, you know, high reach should equal good outcomes because you're telling loads of people about it um that's sort of being eroded because of media fragmentation and uh, as well inflation um in the past sort of two years um and so we developed right reach because you've always everyone's always known and now more than ever that not all of your 70 percent or your 80 percent reach is actually real reach like some of it's not effective so RightReach was about um, establishing a methodology for working out of that 70 or 80%, how much of it is effective because it's attentive, because it's um, relevant, because people are properly engaging with it and sticking with it, um, and, and then maximising towards that percentage. So in a 75% reach um, media plan, it might be that 52% of that is actually right reach. And therefore, you want to optimize and make that 52% bigger. So it's almost about the 75% is the 75%. The, 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 the key bit is the delta between that total reach and the actual meaningful reach. Cool. Um, sounds interesting. Um, and so, Holly, um, the Essence Mediacom campaign with eBay was the single biggest winner of the evening um, with four awards, including the Grand Prix. Um, would you like to explain a little bit for the listener about the campaign, how it transpired and I guess how it was executed? Yeah, of course. Um, so as probably everybody knows, eBay has been selling pre-loved clothing since 1995. They were the original marketplace. Um, and what we saw was despite the surge in popularity for sustainability, actually pre-loved fashion still kind of didn't have anywhere near the same appeal as mass fast fashion. So we wanted to launch a campaign to kind of stop fashion, fast fashion in its tracks um, and ignite a secondhand revolution. Um, and what we really wanted to focus on was our kind of Gen Z and millennial audience, showing them that used clothes could still be on trend and desirable. 
we looked to one of the UK's biggest and kind of most talked about fashion properties, Love Island. Um, in the past, clothes worn on the show is sold out in minutes. Um, and we often saw kind of Islanders go on to have roles within fast fashion brands. Um, and at the last seven seasons, they had all been previously sponsored by a fast fashion brand. So we wanted to really rewrite the narrative of the show to ensure uh, that pre-love was front and center. The way in which we did this was using product placement throughout. The Islanders were dressed in pre-loved fashion uh, and styled pre-loved looks. Uh, they even had the opportunity to kind of swap within themselves through our uh, shared wardrobe. Um, and they also, viewers were able to bid on shoppable edits to look like those they'd seen on screen. We created co-branded TV and video ads, and we really drove the conversation on Twitter to make sure that we were really pushing pre-love to the mainstream. The response has been absolutely incredible and kind of way over what we had expected to see with 1,700 pieces of positive PR and a staggering 7,000 increases in search for pre-love fashion on eBay. So really, really proud of the campaign. Great. So were you feeling confident on the way, on the rainy (laughs) journey to the hotel the other night? I think... We always thought that the campaign was award worthy and I think it's brilliant to see it picked up by not just the industry press when we were live, but also kind of fashion press. So we were seen in, in Drapers and the likes of Vogue Business, um, which really kind of reaffirmed for us that we were making waves. But I still think it was kind of super surprising to pick up as many as we did um, and really kind of gave us a, a real sense of achievement on the partnership. Yeah, and getting the Grand Prix as well. Um, there are lots of different bits in contention for that. Yeah, so there was so much incredible work that went into it. We were all quite passionate about this campaign. Um, I actually were pre-loved on the night, so did a number of others up the team. So it's something that we really have an ambition to do well on. So I think changing the way the industry and also kind of consumers purchase fashion is something that's really close to our heart. And to see it recognised with something like a Grand Prix um, was personally kind of a career highlight of mine, but also I know the teams. Great. Well, um, yeah, I'm sure you'll have many more, hey? Um, in terms of, I guess, what's next? Are you, have you got kind of another evolution of the campaign or are you doing similar things with other brands? So we've just finished our winter series um, and we've got kind of some really exciting work up our sleeves in the next kind of six to six to 12 months. I think what really showed for us was the partnership has kind of opened doors for us in terms of the coverage we received, but also the proactive opportunities we're now speaking to. So whereas kind of uh, previously we were looking to kind of really make a name for ourselves now actually we we often see brands kind of want to come to us and partner with us in that space which is really amazing so um i think we've got some real kind of groundbreaking opportunities on the horizon and really looking forward to launching them in the next kind of couple of months well fabulous well done um i guess i'll just i don't know if any of you've got any thoughts about the role of awards kind of more broadly i suppose for you as i guess practitioners or as as kind of the agency from my side i think Award, everyone loves to go to an award do and everyone loves to have their work celebrated and get up on stage and I think for us any campaign that you're passionate about when it wins awards it's just justification for all of the kind of work you went through to get it there I think the thing that we have seen is that actually it's starting to attract talent to us so actually having campaigns that win awards obviously means we get kind of the best talent that want to come and work on those brands and also kind of ensures to us that brands like eBay and other brands around the agency kind of up their bravery levels because they know that to be brave is the only way we can kind of truly win awards. Cool. Nat? Um, yeah, it's really important to us. Um, I think I was reflecting on this the other day, you know, running an agency is quite, um, can be very unpredictable and you sort of start the year off and not knowing what kind of year you're going to have. And some things can happen that are outside of your control. Like, you know, sometimes you lose a client or, you know, you don't win a pitch that you really want to win. Um, 
And, you know, before you know where you are, you might get to an end of the year and think, well, I'm not sure we've got that much to say about this year. But work, really good work is always within the agency's control. Um, you know, you have that client. It's within our ability to do really good work. And it's within our ability to make sure that that work gets written up in a compelling way um, and get celebrated. So we always feel like it's one of the things you can control a bit if, if you put your back into it. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's always within the agency's gift to do great work and to get recognised for that. Um, so it's really important to us because it's a bit of a, yes, it's something that we can we can do. There's never anything stopping an agency doing great work. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's a, a sentiment many people would agree with. Um, of course, you were victorious in campaigns, Agency of the Year Awards as well. Was that a fun night? Oh, that was wicked, yeah. We were gutted. John couldn't be there because he was on a oh, long-awaited no. holiday and he was... Um, I was a bit pissed, so I couldn't work out the time zone. So we were calling him at like really ridiculous times. It was 7 a.m. Uh, <laughs> I have a, a young daughter, so I was up anyway, and I took the telephone call, and I was, I mean, I was very relieved to be on holiday, but I was gutted that I was missing out on what was an exceptional night for us, because uh, obviously it wasn't just Agents of the Year. Uh, we picked up two other awards as well that night, so everyone was really, really chuffed. Um, and that, that award particularly, I mean, that is something that the whole agency is kind of basked in as, as something that we, we're all really proud of because every single person in the agency contributed towards that. Uh, and it's really, really recognition of, um, you know, what was what was a really, really challenging year for every single agency last year. Um, uh, but, you know, we really embraced it, worked really hard with our clients, worked hard to protect our people. Uh, and it's nice that our overall story was recognised um, with that. Always good for you to get a personal call out as well, Nat. Well, do you know, it's obviously that's always nice. Um, but I didn't realise how important agency of the year was to me until we won it. And I know we won it in 2020 with Media Week, which was wicked, but it was in lockdown and literally we live streamed that ceremony. We were it was a night before you switch pitch. Which you won. We couldn't have a drink which we won, yeah. We couldn't have a drink or anything. Um so to sort of be there this time to actually collect it you know I was in tears I was so happy about it you sort of don't realize how important it is to you agency of the year I mean not the leader of the year don't realize how important agency of the year is um until you get it really because it just it's great for our clients it's great for prospective clients it's great for our people and as you say about any of these awards it sort of gives all year um so yeah I mean we loved it it was you know an unforgettable night and there was an excuse to celebrate with the agency the following week as well. Um, when you were back, hopefully, John. No, I had COVID when I got back, so I missed that <laughs> one. Yeah. It, it looked like a cracking night uh, from, yes. from, <laughs> from... I think you don't know what the answer is. Just stay clear. Um, that's it. I'm, I'm an unlucky charm. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Every time you're shortlisted, they'll just not invite you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, love, we love the awards that you do, and, you know, it's real galvanising for our clients and our people and you know as Holly was saying you know there's such excitement around the night out itself it's so good um so we love that you do it we've started again for next year's nominations <laughs> already thinking what we can pick up next year I'm sure you guys are too yeah. great well thank you John Nat and Holly um for your time congratulations again and yeah we look forward to seeing you on stage at the next one thank you so much Ooh, thank you thanks a lot
Thanks, Maisie, and a big thank you too for Shauna and Coral for joining me today. If you'd like to learn more about what we've been discussing, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk. You'll also find details of our subscriptions. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us, like us, and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, a big thank you to Haymarket Studio Manager Nav Pal and also our producer, Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio, and also to you for listening. I hope you will join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. <laughs>